Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 26 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. On today's show, we are joined once again by UK-based independent wrestler David Eaton of the Heritage City Hitmen and the Purists Tag Teams. Um, Basically, if you remember, a little while back, David came on the show and we looked back on War Rumble 2000, which is one of the first pay-per-views Mr. Eaton ever saw. and It was was a really enjoyable couple of hours talking old wrestling with David, a pay-per-view that I'd not seen in a long time and that David hadn't seen himself since his first days of getting into wrestling as a fan. What we've decided to do is carry on that kind of theme and follow through with the rest of the year 2000. So this month we're looking at No Way Out 2000, which is the next pay-per-view after the Royal Rumble. Uh, David will return to the show again in a few weeks to look back at WrestleMania 16 or WrestleMania 2000, as it was dubbed, and McMahon in every corner, um, and then and so on and so forth, and basically going through the year pay-per-view by pay-per-view. Um, I hope you enjoy that kind of aspect to the show. Um, your feedback is always welcome. Please uh, feel free to contact us on any of our social media platforms, uh, which is Instagram, uh, Facebook, or Twitter. And you can find the show um, at SJP Wrestling Pod. And also, whilst you're there, have a little look for my second show that I do um, with my excellent co-host, uh, Mags, the podfather himself. We record a weekly show called Chain Wrestling, where we look at a particular match or a particular moment or a particular segment in uh, wrestling past. And then from there, we both put forward a suggestion as to where we would like to go next week that links with what we viewed this week. So everything kind of follows step by step, um, like a chain, different links to different matches. And then a poll is put up on the Chain Wrestling Twitter and you, the listeners, decide where we go next. It's great fun recording that show with Mags. I always really enjoy it. Um, I hope that you will seek that show out. It's all over the SJP Wrestling Pod uh, social media, but the social media for Chain Wrestling itself, you can find at Chain underscore Wrestling on Facebook and Twitter again. Okay, um, that's a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. That's all I need to waffle on about this week, I believe. Uh, so let's get to the second part of our pay-per-view step-by-step look at the year 2000 with David Eaton um, and our conversation about No Way Out 2000. As always, thank you for listening. Very, very happy to welcome back Mr. David Eaton to the SJP Wrestling Podcast to uh, travel back to the year 2000 once again and check out another pay-per-view with us. David, how are we doing, sir? 
Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. I mean, as we discussed off air, just before hitting the uh, the big red button here, it's um, it we're in the middle again of a a big full scale lockdown here in the UK. So it's a bit up and down. Um, it's I think it's having more of a negative effect occasionally now than it did previously because the the time frame we're we're going through. But as I as I've said before, I think people are a lot worse off than myself. So you know, it is what it is. Just got to get through it, mate. How how have you been doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I think you're right. I think like it's really sort of dragging on and it seems a lot worse this time around, right? Like the the deaths are worse, the cases are worse. Um the the situation just generally seems like it's a lot worse than it was even during the first peak of the pandemic and like it's difficult to see um where the light is at the end of the tunnel at the moment. As kind of as I see it. I know there's um sort of a lot of um promotions and things that are sort of very hopeful that we may be sort of starting to 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 open things up again after easter and start to look at um maybe getting back to doing shows and things again but i'm i'm still on the fence about whether it's going to happen or or whether it's all going to have to be pushed back even further it doesn't look good at the moment does it no no i mean i was going to ask you um about that it was for the war rumble 2000 the last time me and you spoke properly uh which was recorded i suppose just over a month ago now um obviously there's been no wrestling for yourself in the meantime but you, you say certain companies that you have links with are, are thinking about running shows at a certain point if restrictions are lifted then well yeah if um, um i'm allowed to do a little plug southwest wrestling have got um a few shows that are planned in um for sort of april may june time um and they're starting to sort of put things together for for those shows if they can run um definitely go and check them out um just to, to kind of see that schedule um and they've like the the guys who run it are great um they've always been very optimistic about uh, and very keen to sort of get started again as soon as they can and, and that's mm-hmm. just passion right they've got a, a huge passion for wrestling um and like i i can sort of only respect that that and the the optimism they have i'm just sort of fingers crossed that 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 things get sort of sorted and back on the right track a lot a lot quicker than they seem to be sort of over the last few weeks at least so that that can actually come to fruition yeah yeah definitely um also i spoke with the head honcho i guess you'd say from evm wrestling in evesham yeah. a while back um, that actually came out a week or two ago now but the interview was recorded uh, much further back than that but I've been in contact with him again since and he's still looking at putting shows on I know that's somebody that you, you've got links with as well isn't it you, you, yeah. you're working on his shows also um, so it's good that you're sort of getting I suppose like you said people with the passion and people who want to get things done and get shows back on again it's good to I suppose have that um optimistic side rather than sat around moping like i have been today i guess (laughs) (laughs) a lot of that is due to how awful manchester united were earlier but that's 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 a different (laughs) different story for a different podcast trust me that's (laughs) (laughs) um okay i mean a little bit of context for everyone listening uh i had a fantastic time going back and reviewing war rumble 2000 uh, with david it was it was brilliant i really enjoyed it um and from there we we had a little conversation uh, online um and 
you know, I suppose semi-regular once a month, depending on when the dates align with with the past history. Um, David's agreed to pop on the show and for a little while sort of go through these pay-per-views in date order. So obviously last one we looked at was Raw Rumble 2000. Uh, the next step along um, is No Way Out 2000, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Um, David, when we first mentioned No Way Out 2000, did you have any memories of it without looking it up or did anything jump out to you? None whatsoever. Like, um, I, I think, um, it would have been like the second pay-per-view I watched, potentially the second wrestling show that I watched. Cause, um, I was just borrowing tapes from friends at this time and they were like VHS tapes. That's how old I am. Um, but yeah, like, I, I didn't remember for the life of me what was actually on this. And when I, when I saw the card, I was like, Oh wow. That actually looks really good. Um, so I was like, well, hope it lives up to the hype and we'll, we'll see how much it did. Yeah, definitely. Um, no Way Out 2000 for me was very much, from from memory, was very much a one-match card. The The main event with Cactus Jack and Triple H was the one that I, I always remembered from that show. Um, just because of the timeline and what we saw and what we spoke about the, the last time you were on with regards to Raw Rumble 2000 and the Rock's feet hitting first and so on, mm-hmm. I, I assumed that we'd have the big show Rock match on this pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, but I didn't remember properly firsthand, if that makes sense. The Triple H Cactus Jack main event was literally the only memory I really had. And so it was really interesting for me as well to go back and, and press play on this on, on, on online on the old WWE network there and, uh, Rewatch this show for the first time in, in in quite a while um what were your initial thoughts then as you know uh, in regards to the show as a whole um did it jog any memories once you had seen it yeah so once i saw the card i was like oh yeah the the big show rock thing obviously that that had to happen because and you wouldn't really have known it like from having just watched the royal rumble um i guess that all played out on like raw and smackdown in between the whole thing of the rocks feet hitting first and them actually making a big deal out of that because they could have just decided to ignore it right mm-hmm. like they had the camera angles um for the for the like botched elimination where um you didn't notice from the angles that they showed on the Royal Rumble, if I remember rightly. Um, so they could have just plowed ahead um, with the plan, if indeed it was the plan for, for The Rock to just win and Big Show to be shuffled off. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting twist to it, isn't it? And, and definitely made more of a story out of um, something that was effectively just an accident. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I mean, we'll, we'll get to the card and have a little run through, shall we? Uh, a little sure. bit of information, I suppose, about the event itself. This is No Way Out 2000, uh, coming to us from the Hartford Civic Centre in Connecticut. Um, on the day that Arena was holding, uh, let me just have a quick look here. I've lost my notes. I do apologize. Uh, 12,551 fans, which wasn't quite a sellout, believe it or not, despite oh. how hot wwe was at this stage and how it was just what well, wcw was long in the rearview mirror at this stage it was it was still operating but it was very much a, a pale uh, version of what it once was wwf was the the juggernaut and was making money hand over fist but yeah this this arena didn't actually sell out for this card which i was quite surprised when i read that yeah and like i guess i look back at it and like a lot of the matches contain people who are like stars like in my mind now but i guess at the time maybe not so much like kurt angle was new 
um i guess like um jericho and ben wire and eddie and stuff were probably new to wwf at that time uh yeah jericho been there a little while i think 99 ish um but yeah the the radicals as they were called i guess benoit guerrero saturn and dimalenko um i think this might have been their first actual pay-per-view it was they mentioned that it was their at least as a tag team it was their pay-per-view debut wasn't it Mm. and that was right yeah because we spoke about it on the rumble episode we recorded um I asked about uh, the size of certain wrestlers and how it would reflect on the product and so on. Yeah. Because at the time of the Rumble airing in 2000, these guys were asking for their release from WCW. So yeah, that okay. would that timeline-wise, that would work out, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, a little bit surprising, I guess, that the arena wasn't fully sold out. However, on the pay-per-view boys... Um, it's it did very very well. Uh, it's reported that four hundred eighty thousand buys on pay per view, which is pretty much the same as the Raw Rumble event the previous year. So, as, sorry, the previous month. So traditionally, the the big four, I guess, the Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, outperform the 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 other pay-per-views such as a no way out or a king of the ring i guess um but yeah it, it did pretty much the same buy rate as the rumble the previous month and interestingly it actually outsold SummerSlam and survivor series that year which i was really? really yeah which to me is odd because it's not sold out the arena um but yet pay-per-views is done very well on I mean, I guess it's that road to WrestleMania thing, though, isn't it? Like, it it always, like, used to be, at least for me, like, the really, really exciting period in wrestling every year that you go from sort of uh, uh, whatever the December pay-per-view is, like, all all the way through to WrestleMania, and it really started to, like, feel exciting and, and, like, big things were happening again. Um, And I guess they've always kind of tried to to build that and, and to some extent still do um but yeah I, I i guess that would be one of the main reasons like it, it grabs people's interest because they're building up to that that huge show of the year yeah yeah i, I agree i think you're right there and it's um like it's very star-studded especially at the top end of this event you've got the title match obviously that we'll, we'll come to uh, as we discuss the card the stipulation there with regards to uh, Captain Jack's career being on the car, on the line as well, I guess, adds to the hype. And of course, you then got Rock and Big Show, number one contenders match. So I suppose there's a lot going on at the top end of the card. Um, the date of this event was February the 27th, 2000. So we're going into the sort of, well, literally the trial end of February, beginning of March, we're heading into here. WrestleMania, I believe this year was end of March, beginning of April. So it, it all sort of accelerates from the rumble very quickly in 2000. The opening match, well, actually, no, before we get to the opening match, we had a great little video package to open the show, I thought, Dave, yeah. with Cactus Jack talking about his career and so on. I, I thought this was brilliant. What, what were your thoughts? They've always been fantastic at these video packages, right? Like, they they just set the scene for the entire event like the the network has this skip intro option um and like i i don't know why you would necessarily like if you were going in 
to like really experience the full event don't skip the intro because like it's these video packages that sort of first come in right at the start of each pay-per-view from that era and then the ones before the matches they always do such a great job of sort of a filling you in on what's going on like um when i was first watching these these events during that time i wasn't seeing raw or smackdown um and i haven't watched the raws and smackdowns in between the rumble and no way out so i'm kind of getting a similar experience when i'm watching these back um yeah yeah, i'm the same i haven't watched them in between yeah yeah so um you, you really do get a feeling for just how much of a good job firstly they do in telling the story that they're trying to sell um just through these shortish video packages right um and also how much like emotion they can put into them sometimes like the catch jack ones always sort of like really kind of pull on your heartstrings a little bit and i think that one that one definitely had that effect too yeah definitely um the next thing that i i really noticed as well was uh, and something that i really really miss and i think the majority of people miss when, when i when i speak to them i had somebody else message me um what ben axe a, a good a good friend of the show from the um rsh and paranormal activities podcasts um he messaged me earlier on today saying he was actually watching the Royal Rumble 2001 and No Way Out 2001 just to kill a bit of time over the weekend. Um, and, and this is like uh, earlier today, Dave, before we, uh, before we started recording. Right. And um, he said that the biggest thing that stood out for him was the, the different entrance ways that they had. And again, we get one here with our show, No Way Out 2000. It, obviously, the Hell in the Cell main event influences it, but it's almost got like a little mini cell corridor set up for the for the entrance way. And I think the uniqueness yeah. of these, these different entrances throughout the different pay-per-views, I really miss that. Oh, I, I miss that so much. Like uh, when they stopped doing it and had like the one homogenous set for everything. Yeah. Like it, it was such a detriment to, to the, the WWE product. I thought like it, it always felt special when they had a unique, like every pay-per-view every year had something new and fresh and it made the event feel like a big deal. Um, and like just th- that visual is gone now and it, it's a real shame. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sort of, I think that covers a lot of, uh, older events, I guess. Well, I suppose events from a certain time, because we you go back, a bit further than this you didn't tend to have that the event the, the entrances were very generic back in the 80s and so on but again i suppose it comes to cost doesn't it yeah um the companies when they're making more money i suppose can put more effort in and you look at the wwf wwe around this time period it was all different entrance ways unique to the show i mean armageddon uh, a few months prior to this um, which is covered in a previous episode I recorded. If anyone wants to go and uh, check that out, um, it's it's like the the fire frameworks all around the entrance. Um, WCW, well, well, by this stage WCW was a mess, but WCW in its prime for a bash at the beach, you had you're literally walking through sand and um, beach balls and deck chairs and Halloween Havoc used to have the big pumpkins and the big monsters yeah. in the background. Absolutely fantastic stuff. It's, it's, I think it's a real shame how generic, as you say, they are now. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real shame. But Yeah, and I think a lot of it is like with HDTV and stuff, I guess it becomes more and more expensive to create a set that looks like good enough to be featured on on like that high-quality television picture um but i do miss it i really do yeah that makes a lot of sense actually i didn't even think of that 
That makes a lot of sense, yeah. You make a good point there. Um, okay, I mean, our opener is for the Intercontinental Championship, and it's uh, Kurt Angle, who is currently the European title holder at this point, still very fresh into his pro wrestling career, still not long after his uh, his start in professional wrestling. And he is facing Chris Jericho, who is now the undisputed Intercontinental title holder after the, the silly... Um, co-holders issues that we had with China that we looked that looked at briefly yeah. at the Royal Rumble uh, has been resolved. Um, there's only the one title on the line here, despite Angle also being a champion. Um, China came to the ring with Jericho as well to offer her support, apparently. It goes just over 10 minutes. Uh, what were your thoughts, Dave, when you watch this back? This was my favourite match of the entire show. Okay. Um, it really was like Angle coming out opening the show again, which um, kind of shows how much they think of him um, because it's a really important spot, right? I think yes. it's Cody Rhodes that said if he wasn't in the main event, he'd prefer to be in the opener because you're you're essentially setting the scene for everybody. Um, but he does such a good job for the amount of time that he's been wrestling. He's phenomenal, even at this point, right? Um, like the opening sequences they do are super crisp. Um, there's tons of like little creative moments um, that like I, I kind of saw them when I was watching them and they just caught me off guard because they're just like they're such small things, but you never really see them. Like um, Angle at one point does just like a whip reverse into a German suplex. And I was like, I don't think I've seen that like from anyone recently. Just something that simple but done that well that looked really good. Um, there was also the um, bit on the outside where he goes to send Jericho into the steps. He hops on and does the does the moonsault onto him off the oh, steps. Was, I thought that, that was, was great, wasn't it? Um, there was the um, the bit they did with with China towards the end as well to sort of create the distraction um, for for everything else to happen. And that ending sequence, sort of in general. So um, they're on the outside, and Angle's like already tried to get the belt and like. Him and it's been taken away, so he's gone to like try and get the other belt or something. Um, and, and China kind of tries to stop him, he tries to swing at her, she ducks, and then Jericho comes in and sort of bowls Angle into China into the steps. Um, so China gets hurt but doesn't particularly look weak for it. Um, and then the referee's checking on her, he does a suplex to the inside where Angle lands next to the belt that was in the ring from earlier that the ref took off him, and then Jericho goes to do the lion sort and gets clocked in the head with it. That was like such a well done little sequence. Um and it was just sort of really um encapsulates like the creativity that was sort of part of the rest of the match. I thought it was really good. That's actually a note I I've got here. Um I've just literally got finish dash so clever and creative yeah uh, because there is there was a lot of moving parts there's a lot going on there with the, the belt being thrown and china and the referee and there's a lot going on but it all just seems so fluid and so well done i suppose it's a testament to how talented these players are it, 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 at this stage i guess mm. um, absolutely absolutely and i like even like there's a minute um in like before they sort of go into that sort of finishing quarter of the match or something where it looks like they get a little lost but unless you're sort of looking for it oh okay you can't really um, tell. like elaborate um, on that please if you would Dave. So, um, I, I wouldn't have noticed that myself yeah you're probably, you, this is this is kind of my point right you have to go back to watch it and i i might be wrong but it looks like it um so jericho um at some like i think jericho's on top he sends um angle in and then just gives him like a kick as he bounces back and gives him a bulldog and then sends him again. They do a whip reverse, and then he does the forearm. 
And that looks to me like that's what they were meant to do the first time. Um, oh, okay. But they cover it so well that you wouldn't notice. Like, like I say, and it's only because I, I watched this match like two or three times over the last few days because I enjoyed it so much the first time I watched it. Um, and I went back to kind of like study it. And I'm pretty sure there's this like a little sort of minute or so of miscommunication in there that's just so well covered um, that like, unless you're looking for it, you, you really don't you really don't see it at all. Again, testament to how good they are, I guess. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't pick up on that at all, but with you explaining that there, I can remember the one moment with the kick especially. So, yeah, that does make sense. Um, there's another moment I really enjoyed as well with um, Jericho's gone to... It's almost... A, I, I don't know the proper term for it, but he's, he's pinning Angle with a form of roll-up. Um, and Angle was so smooth just switches it into an arm bar yeah that was really nice absolutely fantastic and then um then jericho sort of rolls through and he just turns over into a cross arm breaker that was yeah that was lovely as well because like that could so easily get really scrappy right and he Mm. just did it like really cleanly it was lovely yeah it was fantastic really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it great opener um i mean i suppose if anything the only complaint i've got is maybe it could have gone a little bit longer because i was enjoying it so much but at the same time they leave you wanting more i guess which isn't a a bad thing all the time exactly Um, as as you said david jericho uh is defeated here loses the the intercontinental title to to Kurt Angle, who spends the rest of the show popping up all around the arena celebrating, doesn't he, with different fans and um, getting covered in popcorn and, and so yeah, on. Yeah, just, that was just a nice comedy touch. chops, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, I suppose uh, the next contest is, is again for uh, another championship. We have the Dudley Boys um, going up against the New Age Outlaws for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Um, Relatively short match, about half the length of our opener. Um, the first thing that stands out to me is here, watching this back 21 years after the fact, I guess, is that me, uh, yeah, my wife and I could both recite Road Dogs spiel before the match, <laughs> virtually word for word, even now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. everyone can, can't they? Yeah, yeah like, so that's the thing. It's great that it sticks out that much, isn't it? Uh, it it's such, um, yeah, it's such a wonderful, like, catchy little spiel that he does. Um, that it just makes you smile every time, like, you see it, like, yeah. I, I don't have a lot more than that to say about it, really, like, but yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody who's, like, watched wrestling in this era can probably, like, recite that word for word. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, something else that I notice, uh, I suppose, sound-wise at this stage, um, the Dudleys are greeted by huge ECW chants quite early on <laughs> as well, which is very sort of of the time, isn't it? Um, yeah. ECW was, again, I suppose, similar to its, uh, it, its other, other promotion that it's battling against WCW is very much on its last legs here. I mean, financially it was always in a mess ever since it started, but it's, um, a death as well as WCW, but yeah, the ECW chants for the Dudleys are, are quite strong. Um, I also read, I don't know if it's, I didn't notice this myself, but I read after the fact when I was doing a bit of research that Billy Gunn came into this carrying quite a bad shoulder injury. Uh, okay. He ended up having to. I don't know if he has just had or he's about to have. I think he was about to have um, surgery on his rotator cuff, which is up in up in your shoulder, isn't it? If I've got that yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, potentially that's why the match was a bit short and why Billy wasn't 
hugely involved i guess um that's really interesting because the one thing i really noticed about this match was um how um rushed looking the 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 end see everything from the hot tag onwards was and i was Mm. like were they short on time do they tell them to like take it home and they have to rush through but like if if billy was hurt that makes a lot of sense right because he was coming in he was doing these weird um like punches where he just kind of like scraped their head and then he did like a couple of clotheslines and then like essentially got out of there as quickly as he could got hit in the arm and then they went to the finish um so that makes an awful lot of sense and and having that context sort of explains it all um but yeah the i mean the other thing i'd say about this match is it like and it's kind of a theme throughout the night that there's none of the chaos and carnage that there was um on the the royal rumble pay-per-view like the 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 tag match that the Dudleys and the Hardys had on the on the previous pay per view was like mayhem and carnage and mm. chaos and bits and pieces of like tables and various mm. other bits of equipment flying everywhere. Like this was a, a fairly standard wrestling match, um, and like it is a common theme like throughout the night because like we're expecting I guess the chaos and carnage and stuff in the hell in the cell at the end. Um. So it's all like slowly building up to that, um, but seeing them in such a, a contrasting match to the to the one we'd seen in the in the previous show was um, was kind of nice, I think, in the in this case because like they're hugely capable wrestlers um, of their own right. Like they're all of their their spots and bits and stuff like work really well in this. Um, you have got like the the was up in there as well which yep. is very much of the time um uh, makes me smile every time i see it um but yeah other than sort of the like I, th- I thought this was like a solid match and then up until sort of like that ending sequence once um billy gets in like it seemed to sort of be like okay let's get to the finish um and yeah if he was injured that kind of explains why i guess yeah and he gets hit with um a, a lead pipe or steel pipe or some some pipe of some sort on the outside doesn't he that was to, a uh, good shot too as well like he yeah. looked like he laid that in he sold that very well didn't he <laughs> unless of course it actually did really bloody hurt and that's <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean the one move that um i suppose Bubba ray or bully ray uses or well, did use a great deal especially in his solo career in tna and so on was the the bubba bomb as i guess mm-hmm. it, it went on to be named that sort of full nelson um into a i don't know what you call it literally a sit down kind of power bomb where he drops his opponents on on their on their backside as well yeah um that always looks vicious to me it always looks horrific to me because i can just imagine sort of your spine sort of compacting and and i mean i've i've had back issues myself to do with you know um discs not being where they should be because certain parts of my back have been compressed and so on so my mind instantly goes to that um yourself david um what is taking a bump like that in comparison to taking a bump just flat on your back what are the main differences there have you got a preference to what you would rather take or is it is it okay either way what i really like about that move is that like you're saying it's relatable like everybody um probably from five years old to 95 years old has at some point slipped and fallen on their butt (laughs) so you know i I do it pretty much daily yeah so you know how that feels right like not everybody has like um fallen flat on their back or like from a height um or um been dropped sort of on their head or um had their 
leg twisted by someone or like you know what i mean um so but like something like that you go oh oh i know how that feels that's horrible um and like it's wrestling right so um there's ways um in which the um impact is mitigated but it's still all like it's still uh, a bump and bumps like are not hugely pleasant to do so like and particularly with 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 that one i think i don't know the like to try and explain the mechanics of it would be for a probably a, a like engineer or something um but um the idea with like most things is you want to spread out the impact across as much of surface area as possible right so um even in sort of the the even in kayfabe that's a, a worse move to do to somebody than dropping them flat on their back because you're putting all of the pressure through a smaller surface area of their body and therefore the shock's going up sort of through their spine from their hips essentially because their hips are contacting them out. um and yeah it looks horrible it's relatable and like it in even in sort of kayfabe theory it, it it's it's a worse thing to do than to like pick him up and drop him flat on his back so i really like that move um for that reason um and you don't see a lot of people doing it anymore and it's i think it might be one of those that's like sort of iconically tied to bubba mm. in in that way that the sort of anyone doing it would be like oh that's that's bubba's move yeah i understand yeah i mean i, I was a big fan of um bubba ray when he was in tna uh, and we had the whole I mean TNA for quite a while around that time. I really enjoyed watching watching their their TV, and we had the the whole issues with aces and eights and who was going to be the leader of aces and eights, and then it ends up being Bully Ray and in a big in a big swerve. Um, fantastic television, and I think he showed in that run in TNA, obviously on a much smaller scale, but as their number one heel, their number one guy, effectively world champion, and so on feuding with all the all the top names that they had passing through that company i think it's a real shame he didn't get an opportunity to have a real big singles run with the wwf or or wwe Uh, because because he showed in in that aces and eights character i think that that he was more than capable yeah i don't know if i agree though because and only because the dudleys were so good okay like um i don't know i like when you have a tag team that's sort of that good and that loved and that sort of over, I guess, um, I don't see the benefit in breaking them up. Um, and it's something WWE does a lot these days is they'll, they'll have tag teams, but eventually they'll break up and, and one of them will be like a single star or, or if they're lucky, both of them will go and be single stars or whatever. Um, but like, I don't know. I've always seen sort of tag wrestling as sort of a slightly separate art form of wrestling. Like it, it is a separate niche of wrestling with its sort of own set of rules and its own sort of unique um, bits and pieces that, that sort of um, go into tag team wrestling compared to singles wrestling. Um, and when you have um, sort of the, the magic combination of, uh, like the Dudleys, like the Hardys, like um, even Edge and Christian, to to some extent during this time, like were were pretty over, or at least became pretty over shortly shortly after. Um, and like I I've never been a fan of breaking up tag teams when it's working. No, no, I understand. I understand. Um, I, I suppose with certain teams, there does come a time when it's ran its course. 
but uh, again, I suppose you, you say about the, the Dudleys and how great they were. Was there ever really a time when it did run its course to, to, to make that decision? So no, I suppose I suppose you're correct there. Yeah, I, I stand corrected on that point. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it's all opinions, right? As, yeah, as well. yeah, there is yeah, no right and wrong. But like, um, uh, it, it kind of like again, like you can you can look at it at even even more micro level with the Dudleys. Like the three D is the most iconic tag finisher probably of all time. Oh, I've got a note uh, here to say the three D is just so good. Yeah, it's incredible, right? Um, and it. Like without the Dudleys, like it, like and without, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, like it, it's just the whole package of them, isn't it? That, that it just worked so well, like for the time, um, and like by the time that like maybe the the gimmick wouldn't work well, they were like loved and legends anyway. So it was always gonna like they were always gonna be over as a tag team. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I just like I I'd have hated to see them break them up. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand. I, one, I'll see if I can find it at some stage and and, and send a link out to you. Um, one of my favourite Dudley's stories is fairly recently um, an interview that I think it was Bully did, and there was somebody else there as well. It might have been Matt Hardy potentially. Um, you know, one of these sort of shoot interview jobs they did. Oh, yeah. A lot of these YouTube series and so on that sort of sprung up. 10 years ago or whenever it was this wasn't massively recent but it's more recent than this event and they were talking about the the trc matches and all the ladder matches and, and all that and they used to book them themselves with their agent yeah um and then certain spots they'd sort of exaggerate when they went out there to sort of make it more spectacular without always getting permission <laughs> so is, is what is what they explained i mean I was, yeah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here so um but the big story that i got that really tickled me was that devon is apparently absolutely terrified of heights <laughs> really? I, I can sympathize with this I, i'm i'm i hate heights i'm no good on bridges i don't like ladders i don't even really like being this tall i'm not scared <laughs> of heights but um apparently devon is absolutely terrified of heights so even though there'd be six men involved potentially a couple less potentially a couple more on certain occasions but six men involved primarily in the match they used to always as a wind up uh, as a as a dig at him to get a spot arranged where it had to be him that would go <laughs> up the really really the, you know the really high crazy tall yeah. ladder they bring out to make sure that he has to climb that in this <laughs> arena full of people on national television because they knew he'd be absolutely bricking it just as a, oh. just as a wind up, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> That's the most wrestler thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we say that obviously the the Deadlies leave here with the title, uh, with the tag titles. Um, That's two title changes in our first two matches. Two title changes also that I suppose are schmoz finishes i suppose you hear them referred to as with mm -hmm. the use of a belt or a pipe and so on yeah like the the end of this one um had like they i guess they they knocked the ref down didn't they and then they just did yeah. 3d um which to be fair they they shouldn't do in front of the ref anyway so it, it kind of made sense but it, it all happened very quickly um so it was um yeah, like I say, it like that that entire end sequence had a rushed feel, but like I I quite enjoyed it. Like I thought it like it like did the right things, got to the right places. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose with the injury to Billy, they had to get the titles off them, and it yeah. served its purpose, I guess. Yeah. Um, our next match, there isn't as much to discuss, in my opinion. Um, we have Mark Henry taking on 
Viscera, Big Vis, Big Daddy V, yeah. various different names he had. Um, to all to do with attacking Mae Young, who at this stage I think they said was seventy-seven years of age and was carrying Mark Henry's baby. Now, obviously, <laughs> we know we know where this is heading: the whole giving birth to a hand uh, and and so on. It's not. It doesn't age particularly well, <laughs> but this match also, I don't think there's not a great deal for me there as a wrestling fan. Um, I suppose the saving grace for me is that it was over quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, but this isn't the sort of thing that I, I appreciate. There's, there's lots of money in big guys fighting out. Um, and the WWF made a lot of money out of that in the eighties, but for my wrestling tastes, this doesn't quite tick the boxes for me, David. I think that's fair. Like, I think this was um, just to push the story story forward a little more, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I guess the main thing to talk about is how blooming strong Mark Henry is, because that slam at the end was a proper body slam. Yeah, <laughs> and he got him properly upside down um, to deliver that, and that's impressive as heck. Because I've seen um, pay per views from before this where others have tried and not succeeded anywhere near as well in um getting viscera up um so that was yeah that was pretty impressive on my, from my point of view yeah i mean the, the one that always stands out to me there's, there's there's historically for me with regards to body slamming a big guy um there's two isn't there there's andre at wrestlemania 3 with hogan yeah yeah that's probably the most symbolic or the most discussed i would i would guess oh um definitely. The, the second one is when Lex Luger slammed Yokozuna in 1993 on the on the battleship in the States. Yeah. Um, that really stands out to me, primarily because I, I was 12 years old oh, and I was getting all the pay-per-views then. I was able to go around my nan's house and watch superstars and challenge and primetime oh. and all this sort of stuff. So for me, the whole Luger becoming the, the American hero and... Um, that storyline building up to SummerSlam that year was a big deal. Um, but you watch the Luger one, it's not a body slam, is it? He kind of scoops <laughs> up a little bit and then just sort of yeah. places it down. And <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I totally agree with the, the slam that um, Mark Henry pulled off here was was incredible. I mean, obviously, Big Daddy V, uh, Viscera, uh, Nelson Frazier, as, as, as was his real name, no longer with us, um, around... Well, give or take a week, I suppose, from the date of this event. Uh, four years on, February 2014, uh, he oh. died of a heart attack at the very young age of 43, which is incredibly sad. But at the same time, you look at the size of the guy, it's it, it's going to come with health issues eventually, I guess. Um, one thing that was quite nice in more recent years, the 83 Weeks podcast with Eric Bischoff had a running joke that um, Dave Meltzer once reported that the third man in the NWO was going to be Mabel, who was played by Viscera. <laughs> um, so they mocked Dave Meltzer on a, on a weekly basis about this this silly assumption that was in one of his uh, newsletters. They actually made up a T-shirt that said Mabel is the third man in NWO font, and all the proceeds went to to Viscera's uh, family and young children that he left behind. So I thought that was a real nice touch. Yeah, that's uh, sweet, and, isn't it? Yeah, and that's sometimes nice. when you hear Bischoff gets a bit of a rough ride, I think sometimes because of stories that people tell about him. But when you hear things like that from from people in the wrestling business, it always makes me smile a little bit. 
I think that's the one thing about the wrestling business, isn't it? Like we um, we're all very much sort of in it together, and I extend that to fans as well as sort of people performing on shows or making shows happen. Um, and like when bad things happen to people within the community, like the community is always so great at, at sort of pitching in to to help out to try and just sort of help in any way they can to make make that person's life a bit better um so yeah i can't fault that and like there's there's been um instances that in the community over the last couple of months with covid striking people and and stuff like that um and like it always warms my heart to see how people pull together in in hard times yeah it's it's fantastic i I love it and again i suppose this is the positive side to the wrestling business and i suppose going along with that sort of hand in hand is is the positive side to social media as well because wrestling and social media both do have very much have their their sort of dark sides to the business so the positive sides i think it's important to shine a light on as well yeah definitely yeah okay uh, our next contest is a another tag match this time to determine the number one contenders for the tag team championships this is uh, Edge and Christian against the Hardy Boys. Um, the Hardys are accompanied again, very oddly, by Terry. I mean, we spoke about it at the last show, didn't we? That it just seems strange because you always picture them with Lita, don't you? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, took me by surprise when I when I saw that at the Rumble, um, and then obviously um, this match played out, and that um, explained why really because it, it it wasn't for very long that I was watching wrestling and, and she was with them. It was for like two shows. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, it basically to, to to fill in a few blanks if people can't remember, um, Terry had took a, a bit of a knock um, at some stage through a match or through an angle at, at some stage during the television. Uh, she's making a return here to accompany the Hardys to the ring, but she's also hired the APA, the, the acolytes, uh, Bradshaw and Farouk, who were just starting their kind of protection gimmick bodyguard for hire, I suppose, uh, characters around this time. And she's hired them to look after her, um, in theory, to keep her out of uh, taking any more knocks or getting I- I- involved and hurt some way. But as the match progresses, we find that Terry's going to turn on the Hardys and result and, and basically cause them to lose this contest. And the APA are actually there to protect her from the Hardys backlash, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it's quite smart on her behalf. Um, and then obviously she um, at the end is is showboating a little bit on the outside, gets grabbed um, and the, the acolytes spring into action. Um, and that was a bit of a beatdown, wasn't it? Like, um, I think at, at one point Farouk goes for the Dominator and Jeff thinks he's taking a powerbomb or something and that almost goes horribly wrong um yes i was gonna yeah i've got no about that actually it's it's quite scary isn't it yeah like jeff made a rubber though so yeah. like he survived it <laughs> intact um but Farouk picks him up sort of struggles with him a little bit and then like dumps him down he lands right in the back of his head um i'm like christ almighty that looked horrible yeah um and then i remember jeff's ready to rubber and it's okay um but yeah at the time scary viewing and watching it back scary viewing still yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I suppose on the, on a more positive side of things, we had a couple of moments that were absolutely fantastic. Um, Edge's spear to Jeff when Jeff was in midair. Um, yeah. Was it poetry in motion they used to call that? Where he'd run and jump off Matt's back? Yeah. That was 
that looked incredible. And, and Matt Hardy himself, I, I think sometimes Matt doesn't get the same sort of rub or the same praise that Jeff does because Jeff is incredible. He's spectacular in everything he does. But Matt Hardy's top rope elbow here is just absolutely it's fantastic. It's like it's it, it's and this is a big compliment coming from me because of how big a fan I am. It's it's Shawn Michaels like for how good this top rope elbow is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And like everything the Hardys do is just so um, in sync um, uh, and perfectly timed, isn't it? So like the they do the 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 coming from both corners um, towards the end, and they do the um, probably leg drop splash. Um, yeah. If I remember it. Um, correctly um, and they they land so perfectly like at the same time um, it looks so impactful it's, it's amazing to see um, but like all, all of the stuff they do like this was a real showcase I think uh, of the Hardys this match um, and then um, obviously Edge and Christian coming out the big winners but just sort of by virtue of Terry um, turning on them kind of lets both teams get out of this looking looking like they should in the in the positions that they are yeah, definitely. Um, I think also a big, uh, maybe underappreciated star for this particular match, the, the, the moments that followed it, are whatever tape Terry is using to keep that top of hers in place. Because, <laughs> my goodness, she very nearly uh, exposed a little bit too much there for television. And after the what happened on Channel 4 um, with the Royal Rumble, <laughs> that, might, that might not have helped TV viewers in the UK watching future programming. So I think that may be a bit of a undervalued hero there <laughs> yeah, it must be carpet tape or something it's pretty strong isn't it like it the, the outfits <laughs> like um even china's outfit as well like the outfits in this era were a lot skimpier than i remember them being um and it's a sign of the times obviously but like you you just wouldn't see it these days no no and, it, and it's it's kind of it's awkward um now I mean, I'm, I'm, I I turned 40 in just over two weeks. I've got kids of my own. My youngest daughter is 11. My eldest daughter is, uh, 16. Um, and my middle daughter is 14 in a week. So if we catch anything like this, it is a bit uncomfortable for me (laughs) watching it. Uh, It is a bit awkward. But I remember fourteen-year-old me loved it. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but it's a bit. But yeah, I, I, I spoke with somebody for my uh, for, for an interview that came out this week, actually, um, and we were looking back at Raw Rumble twenty ten, and that was around the same time as we had the whole Piggy James oh, storyline and so on. And I got to be honest, I, I kind of. I wouldn't say lost my temper, but I, I, I had, I suppose, the first proper little rant I've had on on the show. <laughs> Twenty five episodes in, David, I think I've done quite well there. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's the first proper rant I've had because, again, my daughters were sat watching this with me, and it was so uncomfortable. And I think you can try and say it, it's it's of the time for a lot of things, but with that, it wasn't just of the time because they did it again a few years after with. Um, Oh, Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax. It, and it just, yeah. I think, testament sometimes to the creative they have isn't always as in tune as you would like for a company with that that size and that influence, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right that sometimes just sort of that that mindset from this era, because um, that, I guess, is... is what they still consider the prime, isn't it? It's that they always hark back to um these is like the the modern glory days um 
although modern 20 years ago now um yeah and like you do still see i guess it in sort of modern wrestling these tropes brought from um from that time kind of brought back and they're not always sort of in sync to, to where society is um in terms of what's considered sort of appropriate treatment of of other human beings um and particularly in the last 10 years or so i think we've moved forward at, like taking great strides in, in sort of treating people um a bit better or at least representing people being treated better on on mainstream media um so yeah it, it's sometimes just a bit jarring when you go back and see stuff like that definitely yeah without a doubt without a doubt um and, and as we mentioned uh, edge and christian pick up the win with terry's help um they're now the number one contenders but we'll see how that progresses over the next few weeks i guess as we head into the next pay-per-view um the next contest is the shortest on the card and i think it shows how far i suppose the uh the bloom has fallen from the rose with regards to Taz already in this era. Um, we're seeing Taz go up against the big boss man, accompanied by Prince Albert, who, who's got a unique look, shall we say, David? Just to <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I noticed. Um, that, um, so firstly, um, they, they've remastered these shows or something, because seeing them in slightly higher definition, Albert's look is is quite something yes. to behold, isn't it? Um, very, 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 very shiny and very, 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 very hairy, but only on his top half. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the shaved legs really stand out um, when you're looking <laughs> at it in reasonably high definition. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to make of this one because, like, the, at the Rumble, um, Taz seemed like a big deal. Because um, Kurt Angle seemed like a big deal, right? Kurt Angle came out, made himself look like a big deal at the Rumble, and then Taz choked him out. Yeah. Um and it looked like wow, this guy this guy is this guy's gonna be something, right? And then this this show comes along and it's like, oh, Taz is in with with, with Bossman and Albert and um they just beat the tar out of him. Um but fair play, he didn't want to stay down, did he? No, no. <laughs> um from what I can gather again from, from what I've read and what, what I've heard on these these student interviews, I mean Taz is quite outspoken about this time in his career uh, on YouTube videos or other sites, you can find bits and bobs. Um, he was, he got himself in trouble with people complaining about, uh, you remember our discussion at the, the yeah, Royal Rumble the, episode with the suplexes that he was releasing yeah. and so on. Um, apparently that kind of, um, that kind of feeling towards him didn't really go away. And then I believe somebody actually did pick up a bit of a knock in the ring with him. Right. Um, okay. So he was very much on the bad boy list, I suppose. So that all happened in like the four weeks between these two shows. Apparently so. Wow. Apparently so. But also, I, I think that's I, I I don't know. I'm I'm assuming now. I'm guessing. Obviously, I wasn't mm. there. I don't know. And this isn't listening to interviews with the people involved. So this is very much my opinion. Don't take it as okay. as good. But I think that looking how he was received and he was promoted and he was quite heavily pushed at the start mm -hmm. in january around the rumble time and how quickly that sort of fell away and then what happened after this event going through the rest of the year and, and who he ended up in feuds with the likes of jerry lawler and jim ross and so on he wasn't taken he wasn't really sort of pushed as this monster killer 
that I think they thought they might have been getting. Because in, in in ECW, he was this monster killer. That was his whole gimmick. Yeah. He was this street fighting um, destroyer of, 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 of opponents. He turns up in WWE. I mean, Taz is 5'6", 5'7", I'm, I'm assuming around that mark. It's not as, I suppose, appealing to someone like a Vince McMahon who who wants to do something with this individual and this part of it i do know to be quite quite factual from listening to interviews and so on taz wanted to do his ecw gimmick in the wwe okay so that was kind of where i think wires got a bit crossed and so on again there's a lot of gray areas there i'm assuming a great deal from my own opinions and picking picking parts from a interviews and so on i've heard and read but that's kind of the feeling i get with the information I, I, I've sort of surveyed over that time period, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and like, it, it's interesting how long this beatdown goes on. Right. And, and how Taz keeps getting back up after each one. So like they build to this crescendo in it as well of him getting hit over the head with a nightstick and the nightstick, it like explodes somehow bits of it go everywhere. Um, noise as well. Yeah. It's horrible, isn't it? Um, but then like he's down for a minute and then he's up again and he's tackling Albert and he's down again and then they stomp him in the balls and he's he's down and then he's still trying to get back up and it's like everyone comes out and they're like please stay down <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> please um and like you never know how much like it it's hopefully all just direction right and he's just meant to be getting back up and looking like a scrappy fighter and uh, but like even then i think that went on a bit too long um and it went a bit past believability for me yeah yeah, and that to me is a big thing, the, the believability of when, when you're watching these shows. I, I I want to be in the bubble, I guess. I want my suspension of disbelief to be, you know, fully active here. And yes. if anything happens where I am sort of withdrawn from that, it does really take away my enjoyment, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Taz needed to stay down. <laughs> just at some point. Just, yeah. just at some point before he did. Just to, to yeah, stay exactly. down, it would have been fine. I mean, ultimately, Taz does pick up the win here by disqualification. Um, but again, it's, it's it's the actual match itself lasts what a minute, a minute and a half. Is is not a great yeah. deal there. And it, as far as I can remember, as well, it doesn't progress onto anything more storyline wise. There might <laughs> have been not a lead bit, to anything. Oh, there might okay. have been something on SmackDown or Raw. I'd have to go back and have a look, but nothing yeah. jumps out at me. So, all right. Um, okay, I mean, the next contest, I suppose, is a little bit more heading towards the carnage of Hell in a Cell, like we spoke about earlier. Uh, we have a no-holds-barred match, so you'd expect a f- crazy bumps and weapons and so on, between X-Pac, uh, who's coming to the ring with a lady called Tori, who I completely forgot was involved in the WWF at all, <laughs> um, and uh, and Kane, who is now a, now a, now a babyface, now a good guy. Tori was supposedly Kane's girlfriend, X-Pac has stolen her and so on. And we, that, that's effectively the storyline going into the match. And we have this, um, this no holds barred match here. I, I know you're not a massive fan of the kind of garbage wrestling, I suppose, for, for want of a better term. Uh, how did you find this one, David? It was, it was all right. I think it, it, it did its job. Um, it did what it needed to do. Um, it like, it didn't really grab me, um, at any point. And I'm struggling to think of, any um bits of it that really stood out as as being memorable um so 
yeah i don't like the 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 package again told like they really good did a really good job of, of kind of catching me up on what was going on with it um with with sort of tori and the the the, the relationship between the two um but like the the match itself like it started off um pretty fiery kane fiery right um <laughs> but um obviously kane comes out does his pirate thing and then sprints to the ring um afterwards which struck me as unusual because it's kane um and i was expecting yeah. to like slowly meander and be menacing the entire way um and it kind of gets off to, to that start and it's it's like it's not um it's not it's not like a boring match it's not a bad match it's just like, i don't think anything really stuck out to me as being hugely memorable um i think the the steps got involved a fair bit and that was it yeah, well, the steps were on, on the same issue. There wasn't masses here that stood out for for me to remember or me to recall. But the the steps themselves were involved in the finish, weren't they? Um, Kane's holding them, looking like he's going to use them as a weapon. X Pac basically kicks them into Kane, and he, he, they sort of land across his head and shoulders. Yeah, and so that's on. it. That's actually like they they've um, people do that spot sort of every now and again, um, and I always think like it looks horrible. Yes. Like if you actually process it in your mind, what's going on? You're like, oh, okay, that that V shape is like it's so big that it could never actually hurt anybody. Um, but it always looks horrible, and I think it's like one of the the greatest like finishing spots. Like that that if used like really sparingly, works really well, and only like really with like big guys because then it's believable. Um, but yeah, the the he looks like he lifts the steps up and he like drop kicks them, doesn't he? And they fall back on him. And I think like yeah, now that you've reminded me of it, I really love that that finishing spot. But I guess it kind of says something that I didn't remember it because the rest of the match was so sort of lacking anything spectacular. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, the lady who was Tory um, left the WWF not long after this. I think she lasted maybe another year tops. Um, when she she left, she'd have been working with Raven for a little while, um, popping up on Sunday Night Heat. Um, she was then a trainer for the Tough Enough series, if you remember that, David, the WWF yeah. Tough Enough sort yeah, of reality yeah. show thing. She did that when she kind of left television. Um, she was released in September 2001 and, and made some kind of accusations about Raven verbally abusing her and, and basically oh. just basically being a, a, a complete git to her backstage in front of other people. Um, but Jim Ross and Gerald Briscoe apparently were present at some of these occasions that she made the accusations about and, and just said it wasn't true. So it kind of went oh, nowhere. Okay. Um, yeah. And now she's a yoga teacher, which is what she was kind of doing before joining the WWF, apparently. Um, okay. But she was involved as well with a storyline with Sable when she initially started uh, as like some sort of um, obsessive fan. So I mean, she was around three four years potentially and involved mm. with some big stars i mean sable was huge kane was a big deal um x part was part of degeneration x here and she went on to join degeneration x so i suppose in that small little window of, of time with the company she was involved in some big some big stories and some big characters but i don't really remember a great deal of it <laughs> yeah like when i when i saw her i was like oh yeah it's tory um but um yeah i think you're probably right like i can't i can't remember anything that she she really did during that time and i'm sure it will all surprise me as it comes up as we watch these things um but yeah she 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 was 
she she did a part in this perfectly well um and, and like the 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 backstage stuff that you just mentioned kind of sucks um if if it's um if it's true um and it like it, it's probably best if she's like if she was unhappy to be out of that situation um yeah. but it is kind of like sounds like a pretty a pretty crappy situation for her that's kind of sad yeah yeah again if if it's true i guess I and mean, we don't know um a lot of these stories it, i tend to find you got one person saying one thing you got one other person saying another something in the middle sometimes can kind of be a bit more accurate but i suppose we weren't there we don't know my friend we don't know no, exactly um after this we have the group of the radicals backstage all having a, a an interview with i think it was michael cole there wasn't it um yes and it's only really eddie guerrero that seems perfectly comfy and happy to be doing this everyone else i think the, the the interview side or the promo side may not be one of their strengths but what a group there what talent these four had and all coming across from wcw at the same time you can see why the wwf rose and rose and wcw literally just it, well it was dead within 12 months when they're losing <laughs> talent like that all in one yeah. hit you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Eddie's standing there with with a really strange metal implement that's like um, it's like L shaped and it's got like foot plate tread on it, but it's like a thick pipe. Yeah, it's just like solid. And like I'm, I'd like the thing that distracted me through this whole interview is what is the real purpose of that item that Eddie is holding? Like what what's it for, other than for hitting people with? Because it looks like it really hurt if you get hit with it, but where do you get it what's it for i got no um, idea but I, I, you're right it's an like, odd item isn't it yeah and sometimes in wrestling like i get distracted by these things and it t- it takes me out of the like everything else um so, but um so yeah i can't say an awful lot about this interview because i was i was preoccupied with with trying to work out what the heck he was holding did you find out in the end no i have no idea Okay, what well, well, I will research that up, and I will make sure that we know before the next episode, before the next record we do. I will make sure that we know what's going on. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah, please do that. Be great. Um, interestingly enough, here if my timeline is correct. Chris Benoit has come across to the company. Um, well, the month previous around Rumble time, they were asking for their release. He was actually the WCW champion at the time. I believe he won the WCW title, and then just walked out the next day. Oh. So that was I did not know that. That's great. Interesting. Again, I'll have to double check the the timeline, but I'm ninety nine well, I'm as sure as I can be without looking it up right now. Okay. But that is what happened. Um wow. I'm fairly certain he won the belt from Sid. Um Yeah, okay, I've got it up here. He won the belt from Sid Vicious at Soldite, and due to disagreements with the head booker Kevin Sullivan, he left the company the next day alongside oh, wow. Guerrero, Malenko, and so on. So yeah, the WCW World Champion stood right there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they landed on their feet, they didn't they? Being there that quickly um, yeah. and involved um, in what's a decent match here as well. Like um, too cool are like you think of them and you, you think of the gimmick and the dancing and stuff, but they they were so good in the ring as well. Um, and this match, like maybe it goes on a little longer than it needs to um but i thought it was a really good match yeah yeah i enjoyed it as well um i mean i'm not gonna go into the whole benoit situation to, at the end of his life 
just looking at it firmly from a in-ring standpoint, Chris Benoit was one of my favourites. Um, always liked his stuff in WCW. His stuff in WWE was fantastic as well. His 2004 was an incredible 12-month run. Dean Malenko is fantastic. Perry Saturn, I think, is incredibly underrated. He's very good as well. Um, and the guy's in too cool. Rikishi, for a man that size, can really move. The other two are, are very capable performers as well. Um, so I totally agree with you. It was really good and surprising to me how much I did enjoy this. Um, one a couple of moments in it, I suppose, that they do because they get a reaction. Like, I fully understand it. I suppose it is really popular with the crowd. But we've got the stink face popping up in yeah. in the match. Um, what are your thoughts on the stink face move, David? <laughs> it, it, like, I, I, I enjoyed it as it was meant to be enjoyed as a kid. Like, oh, isn't that like a horrible thing to happen to that bad man? Yeah. Um, and that's it. If, if you keep looking at it through those eyes and like, there's nothing wrong with it particularly is there like it's, nah. um, it's what it is. It's just, um, it's fun, a, yeah, it's, it's a comedy element to, to Rikishi's like often otherwise quite serious matches. And like, it, it always, um, as far as I can remember, it always do it no matter how serious the match was. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Benoit sells it. All right. Um, like everyone used to sell that pretty well. It's, I guess it's a really like easy thing to, to relate to, um and 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 um sell the unpleasantness of isn't it um but i thought in terms of like speaking of selling actually rikishi did a good job with the leg um in this match as well because like they they keep coming back to it as like a story point throughout it mm-hmm. um and then like there's a, a questionable decision he makes sort of in the story at the end where like he does his rikishi driver on malenko and then he's like yeah, I'm going to squish him as well. And he goes up to the second rope and does his thing. And he, he sells the pain of it as he's like pinning him Yeah, as well at the end. And I thought like he, he did a really good job throughout that match of, um, I don't know like how legit the leg injury was, but like it looked, um, it looked like it hurt him. Yeah. And he, there was a, um, I, I suppose a thrust kick or a super kick from Rikishi mm-hmm. at some stage where he sold the leg again, which obviously, you know, whether you're using it to stand on or using it to kick, it's going to affect the injury. So it makes a lot of sense what he's doing. Mm, the, the move off the second rope where he sort of just jumps and sits down on him. It, it was a nice touch for me because that's a throwback to Yokozuna going back to 1993 again and Lex Luger and all that. That was, that was yeah. his bonsai drop finisher who was obviously part of the same Samoan family as, as Rikishi. And he died yeah. a few months previous to this event. So I thought that was quite oh, a nice little okay. touch. Um, yeah. Like 19, late 99, I think he passed away. Um, okay. in in Liverpool, um, Yokozuna. Oh, wow. So yeah, I think that's always a nice little touch because I thought the guy was, I thought Yokozuna was absolutely fantastic uh, for a guy that size um, to do the things he could do, that leg drop he yeah. could do, and so on. Just, just brilliant stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm very, very small in 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 the human spectrum of weight, um, and like getting out of bed in the morning sometimes is hard enough. So like. Um, but for someone that size to do things that he did, absolutely, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and I'm, tomorrow, um, obviously, I'm going to the you know the time of recording here. It's, it's Saturday night. We've got the Royal Rumble tomorrow. I'm quite I'm looking forward to that. It's one of my favourite events of the year. Um, but also, the WWE Network's releasing a documentary on Rikishi. Um, I think it's their, their Icons wow. series. Um, okay. So that's something I'm I'm really looking forward to because again, I, I can remember 
firsthand b- being a fan and seeing this guy debut and seeing him crush Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and Duggan bleeding from the mouth after X amount of bonsai splashes and, <laughs> and being this 12 year old kid and, and being terrified of this man. Yeah. Um, and then he, him winning the Royal Rumble and, and facing Bret Hart. And, and I was a big Bret fan as a kid and still am now. So it was real, real memories of my childhood, this, this monster bad guy and so on. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that documentary when it, when it pops up. That's a testament as well, though, isn't it? Because if like, I, and I never saw any of that because like, like we've been talking about, I started watching the, the pay-per-view previous to this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, here's Rikishi. He's that sort of cool dancing dude with the with the dancing guys um and and it's kind of like reluctant to do it but then they do the shades and he's like yeah like it's like alter ego whatever um and how loved he becomes after how scary mean awful dude he was mm. like it it's a real testament to how good he was yeah and i mean coming up not long after this, I suppose, where are we? February 2000. So I suppose six months time, potentially. Um, we have Rikishi's uh, heel turn and, and push towards the main event picture uh, and feud with various people there. He's, he's involved in the big six-man Hell in a Cell at the end of the year in Armageddon and so on, mm. um, which didn't quite work out for him. because I, 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 like, I like good guy Rikishi, and I think it, it, a lot of people felt the same way i think i think once you've had good guy rikishi like it's hard it's hard to let go that's yeah. the problem isn't it yeah definitely um we also see the worm here don't we from scotty too hotty <laughs> yeah uh dave i think this is a move that's missing from your repertoire mate oh i love it <laughs> <laughs> i used to do it as a kid i like like it was genuinely genuinely scotty too hotty was one of my favorite wrestlers um when i was a kid and like watching this match back like um it almost surprised me how how good he is just sort of mechanically in the ring and how well um Tuchel work with like the wrestling wrestlers the radicals um because i thought this match was really good um and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing more of both teams sort of as we watch these yeah yeah and hopefully when um when crowds are laid back and restrictions are lifted from lockdowns and I get to come along and, and share a beer with you after, after one of your matches and come watch you wrestle again, I hope to be talking about seeing you busting out that move in the ring, mate. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what we can do. Um, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. No worries. There's a story. Um, there's a story that's tangentially related to that. I'll have to tell you another time. Yeah. Okay. No problems. <laughs> um, the next contest is stemming from the, War Rumble that me and David spoke about on, on our first uh, sort of tread through 2000, I guess. The Rock facing the Big Show. The winner is the number one contender for the WWF title and goes to WrestleMania. This is all stemming from The Rock winning the Rumble um, on paper, I suppose. His music plays, he celebrates, but it, you later see that his feet hit the floor first before the Big Show. So in theory, the Big Show was actually the winner. So the match here was made to decide the, the undisputed number one contender, I guess, and who was going to go on and challenge for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania. It doesn't quite hit the 10-minute mark, David, but I think, I think it did its job. Yeah, definitely. I think it was it was um, as straight a brawly wrestling match as, um, as it needed to be. Um, they went out into the crowd a little bit. The Rock took a horrible bump on the concrete on the outside um and got thrown around quite a bit and 
yeah, he did. I thought they they both did a good job in this one. That it um, served its purpose and um, moved the story forward. Like there's there's one interesting thing, um, the very end of this, um, where the rock's going for the people's elbow and Shane comes in and hits him with the chair by jumping over it. Yeah. Um, immediately took me to um, the CM Punk rock feud because they perfectly recreated it. Um, when CM Punk cut off the rock mid people's elbow to kick that off. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember. Um, I, I obviously remember that I'm a big punk fan. I remember that. I remember yeah. that feud. I remember the, I remember getting hit by the chair. I'm going to have to go back and have a look at that. That's really interesting. I can't remember. I'm, like, I'm not sure if Punk used a chair or just dived in with a forearm, but like the, the framing of it just looked so familiar to me. And then I was like, it's, they, they recreated it for, for the, for the CM Punk. I don't know if they did it deliberately. I wouldn't put it past them. Mm-hmm. um but like just the the image um or of it happened i was like i've seen this before this is like proper deja vu and i was like that's where that's where i've seen it oh brilliant i'm gonna go back and check that out once we're done i'm gonna go have a look at that <laughs> in fact i'm just i'm going to end up just going down a rabbit hole again and watching those <laughs> yeah. i've convinced myself that punk is returning so my wife at the moment doesn't even want his name mentioned in the house because the last time i convinced myself he was returning we nearly got divorced because i drove him <laughs> so mad talking oh, about geez. it what makes so, you think, do I do, do I want to go down this track? What makes you think he's coming back? It's it's nothing really. I it's it's something as simple as I say. The last time I convinced myself is because I'm a super big punk fan, and there was a show in Chicago, which is where he's from. So I convinced right. myself he was going to return, and then when he didn't return, I had a little sulk. Aww. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there was uh, there's a Raw Rumble a few years back as well that very heavily hinted, or there's a lot of online rumors that right. punk may be there. Um, and then when number 30 came out and it was not punk, I don't know who it was. It might've been Ray Mysterio or whoever. Um, I almost wanted to go to bed right there and then oh. as opposed to watching the end. Yeah. Um, I, punk isn't, he, he's not up on the same level as Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels for me, who are my two favorite of all time. Mm. Um, but the whole summer of punk and all that stuff and, and the money in the bank match and the crowd and, and the music and everything. I, I just, I really got it. That, that sort of brought me back into wrestling again after uh, being sort of, I suppose, a very casual fan for a little while. I sort of drifted away a touch and that really brought me back in. So because of that, Punk's quite a, quite a big deal for me. Um, with regards to this one, there's just rumours about him coming back. Um, announcements on backstage on Fox TV tonight and people are joking online that it might be something to do with Punk. Right. It's probably not, but yeah. I'm, I'm just allowing myself to be dragged along with the hype, basically. Uh, oh and he put a, a tweet out as well obviously anyone who works for wwe at the moment or anyone who um appears on a show of theirs or whatever they have to self-quarantine for a while beforehand all right yeah. um there was reports on twitter a few days ago that punk might have had covid um he actually responded to somebody saying somebody tweeted saying uh, like a fan on twitter basically tweeted saying i suppose one of the positives for me having COVID is I've had it at least the same time as CM Punk. So maybe that's kind of cool. Um, (laughs) Punk responded to the tweet and said, I've not got COVID. I'm actually self quarantining or self isolating for a job. Right. So straight away, I think he knows what he's doing. And (laughs) of course everyone jumps on it and goes, Oh my God, it's it's the rumble in a week and all this sort of stuff. So I just allow myself, my, my very near 40 year old self (laughs) to go back to being a little kid and just dreaming about that moment, you know? Yeah. 
my wife got do you know me uh, you sorry you think you know me and edge's return last year in the rumble so i think it's my turn this year you know yeah. to get what i want so <laughs> yeah i tell you what i would be hyped if that happened i i do not ever expect to see cm punk back in the wwe um but stranger things i guess have happened and will continue well, to happen so yeah i mean bruno Sammartino was never going to go back. Uh, the hatred between the company and he and vice versa was very strong. The warrior, uh, Bret Hart, you look at all these people, the hatred between the two parties, the rest of themselves and, and the company eventually it, it all sort of, they all reunited. They all went back in the end. So yeah, I, I can dream, David, I can dream. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything crossed for you. That's it. Cheers. Um, ultimately, we get the big show defeating The Rock here. So he is the number one contender for the WWF Championship. Um, again, we have a chair involved, uh, a ref bump. Another ref comes down. Um, Shane's involved again. I'm not sure. Like th- this is something that stood out to me as well about this match. So Earl Hebner gets knocked down. He's on. He's on the outside. He gets crushed. Right, shows whipping rock, and he's. I'm not sure why he's in the position that he's in, but he just gets steamrolled and and ends up on the outside. Um, a pin happens. Another referee comes in, and Earl is out of his mind, angry that another ref could possibly count that pin. So seemingly unprovoked, he jumps in and pulls the referee out. And I'm like, why, Earl? Why? What are you doing? Yeah, I know what you mean. It is odd. Um, there was, and I'm assuming it's around this time, there was some silly storyline with uh, referees going on strike right? and the WWF bringing in other referees to do their job. And it was some, some sort of storyline with referees or, or certain referees not getting along. I can't remember the exact details. I, I think it might have been this is something to do with that. Okay, so this is a story point because like, watching it with no context, I, I thought he was just like in storyline, like mm. doing, like just getting in the way, effectively. Um, but that would make sense. So I, 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 I think, anyway, again, I'm, what I'll do is, again, I'm going to end up watching um, certain episodes of Raw, I believe, between No Way Out and WrestleMania before the next time we speak. Yeah. And I'm 99, well, I'm fairly sure that that storyline happened, and I'm fairly sure it was around this time. Okay. So if my timeline is correct, then that would make sense. But it might be something else, and I might be thinking of... I, I could be thinking of a completely different company, a completely different decade. <laughs> There's so much wrestling that, that yeah. I've watched that bounces around my head. I may be getting my wires crossed, but okay. if, if but I'm like, correct, that, that'll line up. Yeah, and that would make sense. But like, I think like this is one of those things where I just like... I, I sometimes like raise an eyebrow at the things that, that Earl Hebner, the character, does. Um, as the referee when he's doing that because he's always booked as that strong referee who can't be messed around with right mm. um, and it was just like oh okay I'll be and he's pulling the other referee out because he wants to be the one in charge of the match or, or whatever but like it, w- without the context of, of something or whatever's going on it just struck me as really odd and it was like took me out of it for a minute I was like what why why did that yeah yeah and there must be a reason there must be a reason for it so yeah. I'm, I'm i'm like i said i'm guessing that that would be it but i may be getting it completely wrong and people listening to this um on thursday when it comes out via 
Visionaries Global Media Network um, might be screaming at their headsets. No, sorry, you bloody idiot. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll check it out and uh, we'll we'll bring that back up again on our next episode, Dave. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, yeah, so the big show's going to WrestleMania, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, who will he face there? The main event will decide. The main event, as we mentioned earlier, is inside Hell in a Cell. We have Triple H, accompanied by Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley, going up against Mick Foley's Cactus Jack persona, with the added stipulation that if Jack lost, he would be forced to retire. Um, to me, you said earlier on that the, the, the opener with Jericho and Angle was one of, or if not the favourite match of yours on the card. Mm-hmm. This was mine. This yeah. I I was absolutely captivated by this, and I had to watch it twice because the first time I put it on, I started making my notes ready for, for our discussion <laughs> today. And after about four or five minutes, I, I must have stopped because when the match finished, I looked down at my notebook and I had like two lines written. So I had to go back and watch it again <laughs> because oh. it just dragged me in. Yeah. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? I liked it. I, I, I did really like it. Um, and I liked what they tried to do in terms of all of the callbacks to like the the previous big hell like epic hell in a cell spots um like they had mick fall off the cage they had mick fall through the cage from the roof but um and this is where it's probably a little bit of a controversial opinion i think that watching it back now at least it's just sort of doing this like trying to recreate it but they do it in such um such a way that it doesn't really um live up to those previous moments so at the time absolutely like i i remember watching this match for the first time and being like oh my god he fell off he fell off the thing and then he fell through he fell through the roof that's that's horrible right but now sort of looking back on it being the the cynical jerk that i am these days i kind of look back <laughs> at it and go well i know right that the 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 hell in the cell where he fell off the top of the, the cell mm. already happened and this time he falls like not not as far and, and jr is like trying to recreate the moment that he he felt really authentically with the when it happened from from the top of the cell with the undertaker um and and it 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 doesn't have the magic that it that it did on the on sort of the 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 original moments that they're recreating um that doesn't necess- that doesn't really necessarily take away from the the match and, and the storytelling and stuff that they do i thought it was a it was a really good brutal match that that had a huge amount of sort of danger and jeopardy and like the big moments to it but like it's it's just i got in my head like when i was watching it of like i'm seeing this pattern where they're trying to just sort of recreate too much of what's happened before okay that makes sense yeah no that does make perfect sense actually i can see what you mean the the, the bump he takes from the cage through the table mm. i agree um to me, there's only so far you can go uh, and still try and top that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see him take the original bump again either. No, definitely, like, definitely. Like, Absolutely not. But no, like, of course. 
like, but you're right. It does. It is a little. And this sounds so harsh saying this, but when he's done the one in '98 at King of the Ring, yeah, this one does seem a little anticlimactic in comparison. Looking mm. at it on its own, fantastic! Wow, mm. holy crap, what a yeah. stunt! But in comparison, you look at it and go, oh, "Okay, well, it's not quite as high. It's not quite as..." Far. Which I suppose is a real harsh, sort of judgmental asshole thing for me to say, really. But... <laughs> no, but like that—that's essentially what I'm getting at, right? And I'm trying, like, I'm I'm trying to be really clear that, like, I don't think it takes away from the tremendous price that he's paying to entertain everybody um mm. or even really take away from the match sort of in its own bubble i think it's a really good match um and like there are moments in it where like even when they're just walking across the top of the structure and i'm like that looks terrifying right like they're, they're walking across and it's like all like bending underneath them and then they've I, like either they've set it up or like a bit of the corner the very corner of the cage gives way as triple h like leans on it and yeah. he like almost falls through and it's like <gasps> that's that's brilliant television yeah. that's such high drama it's and like the, the 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 tenseness and everything else like the tension and everything is there right they're 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 absolutely doing their jobs with it i just kind of like watching back on it now being like the age that i am and as cynical as i am and like almost like studying this with the with the knowledge of what has happened previously which i didn't have the first time that, that i watched this um that I just wish that they had not been so close to what had happened in the Undertaker Mankind match in terms of those big spots and maybe came up with something sort of a little bit different but still safer. Yeah. Right. Um that being said though, the um bump that he takes through the roof of the cell into the ring is done so perfectly. Like the positioning and the like, um, like he doesn't have a huge, like you can see, like he falls through the ring and there's that space that opens up, right? That's not a big area that he's got to land in. And, uh, he's, and he's not a little man. And he's not a little man. And it's a huge, it's a really long way to fall, right? And they, so they, they do the backdrop, he goes through the cage and he lands perfectly, absolutely perfectly where he needs to in it. And it's absolutely incredible to see. And that section of the cage that that kind of swings open from from mm. the the roof or the, the the lid or however you want to word it that he falls through, if you watch that, that swings down, hits the ropes, and actually comes back, and he barely misses it on the way down. Really, that very nearly clocks him. It I comes on, it comes back that. off the ropes, and it very nearly clocks him as he's falling. It's swinging back, and it just wow. they just miss each other, and it's just like whoa, that was a uh, yeah yeah like, very close and. Like I say, like none of that that stuff I was saying earlier. I th- I think that's just like sort of, I I think like watching it back, like, and and like that match wasn't to satisfy me now anyway. It was to satisfy me then, and it absolutely did. Like, I was enthralled by it then, and and I totally re- like respect and, and enjoyed it, like watching it back. Um, but it, I just thought it was an interesting um, point more than anything that sort of I like as a like as a part of the wider context of, of what it seemed like they were trying to do i i think like it would have been even better if they'd just tried to find something a little different to do if they needed to do a big stunt yeah and i, I think it really sort of I, I think it's a really good point that you can apply to lots of wrestling in general actually mm. it's that thing of how many flips can you do 
before it's too many? Um, how many ladders can you jump off before it's a case of, okay, we've seen that, jump off a higher one, uh, and and so on. It's that kind of, uh, I suppose you come back to moves like the DDT and the superkick. Once upon a time, those were finishers, and that was it. It was done. Mm. I mean, I mean, Shawn Michaels won the world title with a superkick, for crying out loud. Um, now, you'll see 20 in a match. And it's that, it's that same thing, I think, of... <laughs> eventually there has to be i suppose a ceiling to what you're doing before what you're doing doesn't mean as much if that makes sense yeah and there's an even more direct comparison right in that they do a hell in the cell pay-per-view every year now yes so they have to contrive a reason to have multiple hell in the cell matches a year Mm -hmm. um and like when I guess the point that I'm getting at is if they hadn't done the spots again in this match, um, would the original like matches bumps seem even more special than they than they do? Um, and if they hadn't sort of made that trend of trying to to recreate the magic of that that hell in a cell where those bumps took place. Um, would the legacy of the Hell in a Cell match be more special still? And could they drag it out sort of once in a blue moon and really make something that, that kind of captures everybody um, instead of having it just as a, oh, it's it, it, it's the thing we do in October? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I hate the way it's kind of, I suppose, crowbarred into storylines. Um, mm. Like you said, you've got to kind of right for that event coming up i guess uh, and i don't like that because sometimes sometimes it makes sense you know sometimes they they know what they're doing don't they that they're, they're yeah. you know successful company of course they are yeah. but then other times it's a case of it doesn't feel like this has gone on long enough to warrant a hell in a cell match or it's not as big a, a, a deal to, to to need the cell i mean yeah. you look at sort of i thought you go back to the territory days and smaller companies and the, the sort of logical booking they all used where you'd have a cage to sort of finish off a feud that had been running mm. for X amount of months in a certain territory. Um, it would make sense because in the first match, the the bad guy would run away. Um, in the second match, somebody would maybe interfere. So then they'd have the cage to stop those things happening and it all made sense. And they made money by doing the same match over and over again, over a certain amount of months in in today's world, it's it, it's not that the cell is bought in at the end of a feud because it makes sense, as it was back in the 70s and 80s. It's very much a case of, like you said, it's in October, this is what we yeah. do. It's and it's time. It, it doesn't fit. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the other side of that, though, I think the way they use the elimination chamber now is very good because that almost helps with the process of getting to WrestleMania. Because yeah. you've got the option of taking the belt off the champion mm-hmm. and switching it to who you want. I think that does work. But that's maybe, I suppose, because it is um, normally for the championship. There's so many different people involved and so on. But yeah, I, with the head in the cell, I 100% agree with everything you just said there. It's a real bugbear of mine. We also, I mean, some of the bumps and stuff we see through this match are just insane, aren't they? Oh, um, yeah, horrible chair shots uh the steps getting hit into people's heads um 
<laughs> at one stage there's a chair shot from Jack to Triple H uh, basically into his balls <laughs> and JR comes out with a fantastic line that, that's some barbaric birth control that really tickled me I just done, yeah, that, that that's great. brilliant um, Triple H is bleeding Foley's bleeding from his arm um, eventually Foley's bleeding from his head there's a pile driver on an announce table um, eventually they end up on the top of the cell of course they would have to to go through it as, as we spoke about earlier um, the fire comes out as well Dave you don't fire, see many yeah. you don't see much fire in WWF do you? I mean it does always yeah. tend to involve Mick Foley to be fair <laughs> yeah, that's true but like yeah the fire was like it, it's just that like them sort of stumbling about on top of the cell is already looks super dangerous right like you know in the past the cell sort of given away um, so you're kind of like well, hopefully they've reinforced it a bit. And then they do like the DDT on the top of the cell. So they're both falling on the same pane of it. I'm like, I remember at the time, like not having seen like the, the falling through the cell stuff um, myself as a kid. Um, but like, just like, that's just like, it just looks like chain link fence and they're like both falling onto it. How is that not like giving way at any yeah. time? Um, and then it does. And like I said, Triple H's hand sort of goes through a corner of it. And you're like, oh my God. Um, but yeah. And then with like the fire just like adds another level on top of that. And like they really pulled out everything in terms of sort of making it seem super dangerous. And it is super dangerous. Let's not like even pretend it's not. Like, but yeah, the it it all just like builds up the tension to that big bump through the cage at the end, um, and then Mick like still gets to seem resilient, but doesn't get in a single piece of offense after he falls through the cage. Yeah, he, he falls through the cage, and Triple H really takes his time to, uh, I suppose, follow him down. I guess dropping yeah. through the hole, um, landing, and of course he's he's battered and bruised and blooded and an absolute mess himself foley has not moved an inch he is in this little pit i guess made from the canvas that he's dropped into when he breaks the ring when he falls through hasn't moved triple h is coming in gives him a little kick to see if he's still alive i think um and, it, and he, he's setting up to basically go for the cover because it looks like foley is done and as mm. it should do because of the the stunt the bump he has just took and then mick's arm just starts to move yeah. And the crowd erupt. And yeah. that is just such brilliant storytelling. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, I would like, I and I guess this is just like, it's not even nitpicking. It's just like, I really wanted to see Mick get a punch in, something in before he got put down. Um, but that just um, is just me getting carried away with the story of it and just wanting to see him just like get something in like yeah on triple h so so he's not like it's like please like survive a bit longer um but yeah so he like he he gets up and he's he's done right but he's just too tough to know it and then triple h gives him a punch and he like crumples like onto his face and then he gives him another one and it happens again and then he gives him the pedigree um and then that that's it um but he he comes out of this obviously as he always does looking so tough um yeah. and and everyone's like everyone's behind him yeah definitely um triple h's music hits the cage gets raised 
he and Steph depart with the championship, uh, seemingly at this point in time, to go and face the big show at the next pay-per-view. Um, Foley, Cactus Jack, eventually stands, the crowd all chanting Foley, Foley, and, and JR comes across quite emotional on commentary as well, saying thank you, Mick, and, and so on. Um, very touching moment. And that's where the, the pay-per-view goes off air. Mm-hmm. Um the following night on Raw from Madison Square Garden, Stephanie and Triple H open the show and run a tribute to Mick Foley. Um, if you've not seen that, Dave, I'd suggest you go and have a little look at it. It's it's yeah. quite good. It's it's comedy, a good bit of comedy fun there from sort of DX, I suppose, uh, attitude from that time. Um, and and we're still rumbling on with the whole who's going to WrestleMania to face Triple H on that episode of Raw, um, as the big show is supposedly the number one contender with Shane, sort of his advocate or manager, I guess. Um, The Rock is saying he still deserves an opportunity because the rule breaking in their match at No Way Out, and that sort of sets the tone for the next couple of weeks on WWE television. Um, and that, Dave, concludes our look at No Way Out 2000. Our next episode, I suppose, our next record, yeah. um, we'll be looking at the uh, WrestleMania 16 from 2000, which I'm quite looking forward to going back and viewing. Yeah, that'll Bef- be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before we head that way, though, we always sort of, um, on the SJP Wrestling Podcast, any pay-per-views we look back at, we always give an old-school... Uh, school grade two um do you want to go first or second dave i'll go first I'll go okay but i think i think overall um this didn't quite as an as an overall card live up to what i expected from it when i saw the names on the on the cards i'd probably give it a b minus like okay. the the first match and the the last match bookended it kind of spectacularly like i really loved the first matches like a wrestling match as a creative match and then the last match is just like it it's triple h and catch jack and hell of a cell like it's legendary right um but like sort of what happened in between kind of like had bits and pieces that sort of weren't particularly memorable there was a lot of sort of solid stuff but it, it, it just very much sort of felt like it was just there to um exist so you had sort of a lot of fairly sort of plain wrestling matches that we're just waiting for the hell in the cell to happen yeah i agree and i've got b minus written down in my notes as well um i think the the main event itself that to me is absolutely fantastic i i think i enjoyed that maybe a tiny smidge more than the street fight at the rumble yeah um i don't know if that's because i've seen the street fight a lot more and this is still you know, I suppose a, a, a novelty for me because I've not seen it as much, but I enjoyed it maybe a, a touch more than the street fight. It was more um, spectacular at the very least, wasn't it? It, it, yes. it, it had those moments. Yes, definitely. Um, the, the opener, as you say, w- was a good contest. I mean, those two guys are fantastic. I think you could be hard pressed to watch those two wrestle and, and not enjoy it. But there is a lot of filler, I think, on the yeah. rest of the show. No way out, and, and and the February pay per view, um, March pay per view, and so on. Each year it does tend to be that way, I guess, because we are going from the Rumble to Mania. This is like the stop in between, so you do get a lot of story progression, um, as opposed to sort of conclusive finishes. I mean, majority of the matches on this card didn't have proper conclusive, clean finishes. So yeah, for me, 
a, a great match at the end, good match at the beginning. The rest of it, I'm, I could happily never see again. So a B minus for me is, is also a good shape. Okay, David, um, I've kept you far long enough this evening, <laughs> my friend. Um, thank you very, very much, first of all, for coming back on to discuss No Way Out with me. Thank you very, very much, secondly, for saying that um, you will take part in a few more of these rundowns and we'll sort of carry on looking at 2000 WWE as a timeline. I'm really looking forward to where we go with this. It, it, it's brilliant. I, I really enjoy our chats, my friend. Yeah, my pleasure. Like, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing where they where they go from here as well. Yeah, excellent. Um, before I let you depart, do you want to just let people know whereabouts they can find you on the social medias? So when shows hopefully do restart, people know where to come and see you? Yes, I have been terribly, terribly inactive on Twitter, but I do have one. It's at Heritage City HM. Um, and you can find me as David Eaton on Facebook. It's, it's just an add a friend type account. Come out a friend, say hi. Great stuff. Um, and as always, uh, when this episode comes out, I'll, I'll tag you in it so people can find you there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. And as always, you can also find the show at SJP Wrestling Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, reach out to the show. Let us know what guests you would like to have on the show what show uh, what old pay-per-views you'd like me to take a look at anyone you'd like me to particularly interview um any interactions and feedback i really really am grateful for um the more you interact the easier it is for me to sort of shape the show to what people want to listen to um yeah and that is it so i'll say david once one more time thank you very much thank you um and i will see you soon uh, to discuss the next pay-per-view which is wrestlemania 16 Um, thank you for listening. 